This morning we'll turn again to Psalm 119 and we'll look at verses 25 through 32 in this next stanza, which is a song, a psalm. The psalmist records in verse 25, My soul is cleaving unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. The word cleave means, as it sounds, to be joined, to stick, to be glued to something. Perhaps you've seen of late some political activist during a parade or some other event, they will literally go out into the middle of the street and they will glue their hands to the pavement. Well, here the psalmist is expressing that his soul is like that. It's as if his soul has been glued to the dust and he can't get up. This expression is used in the Bible as being reduced to low conditions. It speaks of being humble or humiliation. Job would use a similar statement in Job 16, in about the 15th verse, when he would say, as his miserable comforters, the first place he mentions them that way is in chapter 16, you are my miserable comforters. No value into what they're saying. They're, they're accusing him of being proud and haughty. And he would say in Job 16, I have sewed sackcloth onto my skin. The morning symbolized by the sackcloth that he was literally wearing was, was so tightly close to him, it was like it, it was sewed into his skin. And defiled my horn in the dust. Defile means to cast down. Horn is a symbol, like the horn of an animal, of strength, honor, dignity, imminency. Job was a wealthy businessman. And when you read the book of Job, it's clear he helped many people. He was like that respectable, honorable, good businessman in the community that did much good in the community. But now his horn has been laid low in the dust. By what? Affliction. Losses, pain, and grief. In chapter 30, verse 19, he would say again, He that is God has cast me into the mire. I am as become as dust and ashes. Now, when God casts you down, you're cast down. Mire is not just mud, it's a spongy kind of mud. When you step in the mire and you keep walking, your shoe is left behind. It sticks. So Job describes himself as being in the mire in such a way he's stuck. He can't get out. And he says, I am become, his soul has become like dust and ashes. Psalm 44, the people of Israel who are keeping the covenant of God in terms of they haven't departed from God, they say in that psalm, but yet their enemies are prevailing against them. And they would say, speaking as one man in Psalm 44 and verse 25, why are you hiding your face from us, God? Why have you forgotten our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is cleaving to the dust. Our hearts, our souls are bowed down to the earth. Cleaving, bowed down. It symbolizes like being a creature. A creeping thing. You become so low that your belly meets the earth and you can't get up. And what was that condition? It was affliction and oppression. Now here the psalmist uses this phrase of humiliation. 
We don't know the conditions. Nowhere in this strophe does the psalmist say specifically why, but he tells us it is a reality. His soul is so bowed down, it's stuck to the dust that he can't get up. He furthermore explains in the parallel in verse 28 exactly the word that expresses this. My soul is melting for heaviness. The word melt means to droop, to, to drip. In Ecclesiastes, it's used of a, of, a, of a roof in ill repair. You ever had a roof like that? I wish I could tell you I haven't, but drip, drip. His soul is, is like liquid. It's, it's poured out lowly before the Lord. And he says it's because of heaviness, grief, pain. Sorrow, the word could even be translated depression. The psalmist is depressed. We don't know why. Could be affliction, could be oppression, could be inexplicable. It doesn't matter. Because what that means is you can apply this trophy in your life today. If you've ever been heavy, if you're heavy now, if you feel within yourselves like your soul is so bowed down, like someone has unzipped you and inserted a boulder inside of you and it's just so weighing on your soul, then this is a psalm for you, like many other psalms. So the title is in what the request the psalmist is making in verse 1. Quicken thou me according to your word. The word of God revives us. It revives us. This is the way of revival. Now, he's not speaking of revival in terms of a large scale, although this could apply. He's talking about a, a personal revival. The word means to, to make alive, to sustain, to reinvigorate. He needs to be sustained. He needs to hang on when he's feeling so terrible. And that's what we need, isn't it? We need to find some source where we can hang on. We can be revived. We can be sustained when your soul feels like it's in the dust, no matter what the circumstances. And so the, the psalmist is going to use several words here that we'll look at, both in prayer and being purposeful. See? He's going to pray, but he's going to be purposeful in prayer and purposeful in his life to put himself in a position where he's hanging on according to the Word of God in such a way that... Whether the, the heaviness lifts or not, God is honored and He's helped. And that's what we need, isn't it? We need help to hang on when it feels like you don't want to hang on. You ever felt that way? All right, we'll just, we'll just give you the word and then we'll finish the phrase as we go along. First, declare. Verse 26, I have declared my ways and you heard me. Teach me thy statutes. Declare your ways unto the Lord. The word declare means to report, to announce, to tell. It also means to recount or rehearse. Like rehearsing for a play. You know, when you rehearse, you, you say all your lines. Now again, we don't know what he declared. He doesn't tell us. But there's two possible things he could have declared. The first one is a possibility and something we should always be declaring. The second one is more likely to be, I think, the direction the psalmist wants us to think in how God answers a declaration. How do you answer a 
a rehearsal or recounting things. The first thing is it could have been he rehearsed his sinful ways before the Lord. Were you to count my sinful ways, how could I come before your throne? But full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. See, when we announce, when we rehearse our sinful ways to the Lord, even if the cause of our being downcast is not because of sin, the cause of Job being laid in the dust was not because of any specific sin. That's clear in the book of Job, although his friends wanted him to confess that it was. Yet there's always opportunity, there's always need for us to rehearse and to tell God our sinful ways. David in Psalm 51 announced with his sin with Bathsheba. Why was he so downcast? Well, in his case, it was sin. He said, I acknowledge my sin, I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. And in Psalm 32 is another occasion where David felt weight of another kind. He felt unheaviness, and it was because he would say in Psalm 32, verse 3, he kept silence. In other words, he didn't rehearse his sinful ways. He didn't confess. In this case, would have been a known sin. So he says in verse 3 of Psalm 32, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. All right, what's the experience? He kept silence in God's hand. The Spirit of God was like a heavy hand, a strong hand pushing him down with a guilty conscience. He felt it physically in his body. And he said that, that was the Spirit of God pressing down on his soul, on his conscience, day and night. Why? He kept silence. He didn't rehearse his sinful ways. He wasn't confessing his sin. The feeling he had was like his bones were wasting away. He felt like he was aging. The bones being that part of his constitution, that solid framework of his body, felt like it was growing weak physically. Connection with something spiritually in our bodies. If you had worked with David, and he was in the cubicle next to you, you would have heard these roaring sounds, groaning and moaning. You might have stood up, looked over the cubicle, and said, hey, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Must be something I ate. No, it was because he kept silence. His bones were waxing old within him. He felt the weight of his constitution sinking, and he expressed itself in roaring. That word is used of a roaring lion. In the Psalms. He's just moaning throughout the day. Why? Verse 4 God's hand, the Spirit of God, was heavy upon his conscience, and his moisture, his sap, was turned into the drought of summer. Like a hot summer day when your, your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth, the moisture here would express his vitality. It's like a poison had entered into his bloodstream. You know, the blood is the life of the body, or the sap in a plant is, is the life energy that, that takes nutrients throughout the plant, throughout the tree. It was sapped. He lost energy. He probably went around saying, I'm, I'm just so tired, I'm fatigued. Physically, he felt tired and fatigued. Why? 
because of the guilty conscience. Now, when did the heaviness lift in this case? Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think on that. He wasn't put on probation. God didn't wait. As soon as he confessed and acknowledged. First, the word acknowledge means to know his sin. See? Now, he likely knew his sin, but then he knew it in such a way that he then confessed it to the Lord. And immediately the hand of God, the heavy hand on his conscience, lifted. And what came in its place was a piece of being forgiven. Verse 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you. What does it mean to be a godly person? Well, first it means you pray. And secondly, it means you confess. So the idea that godliness means you've reached this plateau where there's no sin doesn't fit David's definition. So the godly pray, and the godly pray what? They acknowledge and they confess their sin. Have you ever had a guilty conscience that was so pressing on you with a heaviness? The remedy is declare your ways unto the Lord. Declare those sinful ways. Express them to God. Confess them. And what does God do? He forgives your transgressions. In verse 7, he becomes a hiding place for David. A refuge. Isn't that what we need in times of heaviness? In times of being depressed? In times when the soul is cast down? We need God to be our refuge and He is. And part of that refuge, part of that experience is we run into the high tower of God's name and we acknowledge and confess our sinful ways. But I don't think that is exactly what the psalmist has in mind. You see, the second thing you can confess, you can declare unto God, and the answers is, declare the heaviness of your way. Tell God just how heavy you are. He wants to hear it. It's not that you need to inform Him of your heaviness, as if He would say, well, I... I'm glad you told me that. I really wasn't aware running the universe. No, he knows. But the psalmist declares his ways to the Lord. The Lord answers him, which could mean also he declares the trouble, the heaviness, the weightiness. Psalm 142, if you want to turn there. The psalmist does this. In this psalm, he says in verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. Supplication may be distinguished from prayer. Prayer may be more general in nature. Supplication is the specific request that you're going to get to in prayer. Prayer and supplication. We supplicate in prayer in that we make a request known unto God. Well, here's how he does it. Verse 2. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. That's the starting place. Poured out means to sprawl out. He just laid it all out. The word showed means announce again, to declare it. Like a rehearsal. When you go to a rehearsal, if you're going to be in a play, you, you say all your lines. If you miss one, somebody say, hey, you missed that line, go back and do it again. 
So pour out your complaint before the Lord. Lay it all out before Him. Every trouble, every pain, every grief, all that your soul is experiencing. Don't, don't keep it from Him. He knows it, but He wants you to pour it out. And the complaint, the parallel to the complaint, is the trouble you show Him. It's not like our English word here, where we've got a, a complaint with God that uh, we don't think He's running things right. No, the complaint is declaring the trouble you're in. Verse 3, When my soul was overwhelmed within me. Overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Overwhelmed expresses, again, to be buried under a heavy mass. Like being carried by the undertow at the beach and the waves crash on you and you can't get up. It buries you into the sand of the beach and you can't even stand up. Just one wave after another pours upon you and you're buried under the weight of the waves. That's the experience the psalmist is having. What does he do when he's overwhelmed? He pours out his complaint. He makes it known. He declares it to the Lord. And beloved, you should too. We should declare our complaints. What's troubling you? What's bothering you? What's causing you anxiety? Is there something that you're depressed about? Is there something you can put your finger on that's causing you to be cast down? You feel like you're laid in the dust. God says, pour it out to me. Isn't that good to know? Imagine if you had to get an appointment with God. You know, you're number 1,235,000. I mean, any moment in your trouble, you can pour it out to God. This is a similar way that Paul expresses in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, Be careful for nothing. Anxious, anxiety, fears. Which then means we all deal with that, don't we? Paul didn't say to the Philippian church, now, I know there are just about five people that struggle with that, so I'm just talking to them. I told the whole church, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, pour out your complaint to God. Pour out the trouble. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Now, what is your request when you're feeling anxiety? It's whatever's the source of that anxiety. That's what you're asking God about, right? You're not just praying in general when you're anxious. If you're going to make a request known unto God, you're going to pray specifically as it relates to anxiety. Anxiety is always a fear about the future. And so tomorrow, Monday morning, uh, half of the workforce at your company is going to be laid off. You don't know if you're one of them. Now you're afraid. You're feeling anxiety. Uh, tomorrow morning, you're going to get the lab results, positive or negative. You do have cancer. You don't. Now you're feeling anxiety. Or maybe tomorrow... You've learned that the IRS is going to be on your doorstep and they want to do an audit of all your tax receipts. Now I'm really anxious. <laughs> Did I do that right? Did my accountant do that right? What if I owe a lot of money? What if I go to jail? What if I'm fined? Now what are you asking for? If you were to ask God, Lord, bless me that I don't have cancer. Lord, bless me that I don't lose my job. And Lord, bless me that we did everything right. We filed our taxes. What are you asking for? You're asking for peace, aren't you? If God granted that, what would He give you? He would give you peace. But the problem is you're asking for peace today that will only show up tomorrow. Because the answer won't come till tomorrow. And God wants you to have peace today. So what does Paul say? And the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds. 
What kind of peace passes understanding? The kind of peace that when you hear you have got cancer and you have peace. When you hear Monday morning, you are fired and you have peace. When you hear uh, you have a lot of mistakes in your tax income uh, in what you did with your uh, taxes and you have peace because the peace that comes from Jesus is not dependent on the lab results, the IRS, or your boss. It's dependent on Him. And so the way we have peace today before the answer tomorrow comes that we are asking God about, we're asking the Lord to act, is the peace that passes understanding by giving thanks to God because we know whatever befalls us, Jesus does it well Jesus cares for us, Jesus loves us, and Jesus is ruling over the source of your anxiety for good. And so, then peace can come. How? We pour out our complaint. We, we lay it out, and laying it out before the Lord of glory, we're giving Him thanks at the answer at His care, for His rule. We're thanking, we're acknowledging, we're remembering who we're approaching. It's our Father. It's like a child that feels the comfort and peace of going to Dad. You see, when they're young, they don't know that Dad's not the strongest guy. They don't know that Dad's thinking, I can't help you here. <laughs> they're coming to Dad thinking, Dad can solve the problem. If I just tell Dad or Mom, I'm going to feel better about it. In a similar way, we approach God our Father. And lay it, lay it at His throne to the God who can and will work. And Job says, nobody can thwart His will. Nobody can stop God's will. Nobody can stay His hand or say, what are you doing? Because He works His will among all the inhabitants of the earth and the armies of heaven. And He works His will for good to those that are part of the covenant community called the church, the kingdom of God. And so pour out your heart. That's the first place to start. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know where this is going to go. You don't know when the heaviness is going to lift. So the psalmist does what? He declares his ways. And God answers him. Now how does God answer in this case a declaration? If he declares his trouble in this stanza... If he lays out his complaint, if he lays out his trouble, if he declares what's giving him anxiety, fear, grief, heaviness, how does God answer that? Well, he could answer in one of two ways. Of course, he could get rid of the source of grief. He could just, it's gone. Sometimes God answers that way, doesn't he? You know, Monday morning, the, the results were good. But sometimes the results are bad. And the heaviness gets heavier. And the weight gets weightier. Or, God could answer in a different way. And I think this is what the psalmist is saying. Because look at what he requests based on God's previous answer. When he says, I've declared my ways. This is what he's done in the past. It's what he's doing now. God answered him in the past. God's answering him now. But look at the request. Teach me your statutes. Make me to understand the way of your precepts. So shall I talk of your wondrous works. Now that's a, that's a strange request. You would think he would say, look, Lord, this is why I'm troubled. Get rid of the trouble. This is why I'm heavy. Could you get rid of that which is causing the heaviness, which would not be sinful, right? 
But if you look at the parallel in verse 25, we see what he's asking for and why he goes to the Word of God for reviving. Verse 28, My soul is melting for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to your Word. Now that's a parallel to verse 25. My soul cleaveth to the dust. My soul is melting in heaviness. Quicken me according to the Word. Strengthen me according to your Word. Reviving happens when we're strengthened in the heaviness, not out of it. Now, we can experience strength out of it. But what he's asking for is strength for today. When the heaviness is hovering over him like a dark cloud that will not lift. How do you keep going? When the cloud is not over your head, it's in your soul. You need strength. The word means to confirm or to establish. We need stability because the one thing that's likely to leave us in a time of heaviness is stability. And we start moving to and fro and become unstable. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy to become unstable in a time of anxiety and heaviness. And so, what is the psalmist requesting? And now we see that the next point we look to, after we declare, then we trust. We trust the ways of God. What is God's way with you, beloved? And if you're going to trust God's way with you, then you're going to ask, teach me your statutes. Make me to understand your way, the way of your precepts. And the result will be, so shall I talk of your wondrous works. So shall I talk. All right, so let's, let's think about that a minute. Trusting in God in your heaviness. See, in our heaviness, we need the strength to continue as a father, teaching your children, providing for your family, as a husband to your wife. You need strength as a mother to keep going when you've got children depending on you to be a mother that trains them and teaches them, even though your heart is heavy. You need strength as a student or a son or daughter to keep moving, to keep going in the heaviness. We need strength as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. And so to trust His way is to go to the Word and take the position of a submissive student. Now here's the first application here, in addition to declaring our ways, don't skip class. Well, I remember times when I was in school, particularly college, I got a little bit behind. And when you get a little bit behind, it gets a little heavy, a little anxious. And this thought comes to you. It's this bright, shiny day in the spring. You think, you know, I'm just not, I, I'm just going to want to skip. That always makes things worse. Never makes things better. Now look, if the psalmist is saying, teach me your statutes, what is he saying? He's coming as a submissive student to the place where the statutes are taught. And he's not going to skip it. Ezra said in Ezra 6, 7, 10, he said, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do and to teach in Israel statutes, teach me your statutes, and ordinances. Who is Ezra? He's a scribe. He's also a direct descendant of Aaron, of the Aaronic priesthood. What do priests do? They teach in the Old Testament. Ezra went back to Jerusalem after the walls were built, after the temple was built, to teach the people of Israel. So if Israel takes a submissive position to God, saying, God, teach me your, your statutes. He said, well, yeah, I sent Ezra. And when you gather together and he's teaching and preaching, listen to what he's saying. Don't skip class. 
Don't skip out on the very place you need to be in heaviness, which is the gathering of the saints in the place called the church. That's the one temptation, isn't it? It's the easiest thing to do in heaviness is, I just don't want to go. I don't feel like going. And you know what? In fact, you don't. Right? See? When you come on Sunday morning, you know, we, I, I don't start by asking, who feels good today? As if that's the prerequisite for coming to church. No, some of you don't feel good. But you don't need to skip class, beloved. That's the worst thing you can do. So the psalmist takes a position of saying, teach me, and he knows the priesthood is giving for teaching. And so he wants to keep submissively learning and understanding what's being taught to him. Yeah, God can teach you through the reading of your word, but He's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those. To revive, to sustain, to sanctify those that believe. And so we need to take that submissive role even when it's hard and you don't feel like it. Right? It is hard. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, he said, Thou therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. All right, the psalmist needs to be strengthened by the Word. Paul told Timothy to be strong. All right, I'm ready to be strong. What, what do I do? How do I experience this? The things that you've learned of me. What did he learn? Chapter 1. Hold fast the form of sound words which you've heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. What are sound words? It's the apostolic revelation of inspiration that was coming to Timothy by the word of Paul and the pen of Paul. You take my words which you've learned to me which is becoming the word of God and you'll be strong in grace and then you teach it to other men which shall be able to teach others. Elders primarily there but that goes beyond that teaching. And what happens? We receive strength. We receive reviving. We are sustained by what Paul told Timothy and wrote. And as we look to the inspiration of Scripture, we are then being strong in grace. Because grace is being mediated to us by the proclamation of the Word of God in teaching. Yes, in reading too. But the psalmist doesn't say, Lord, I'm going to read the Bible. He said, teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Then I'll talk of your wondrous works. Look at Psalm 138. Where the psalmist is going to speak of being strengthened. We're talking about trusting in the ways of God by going to the Word of God and hearing the proclamation of the Word. Psalm 138, verse 1. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cry unto you, answer me and strengtheneth me with strength in my soul. And that's what the psalmist needs in the stanza we're looking at. His soul is melting for heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. And that's the same cry here. When I cry, when you answer, Lord, what I need in this occasion, I need strength. That's the kind of strength in my soul. Now, three questions. 
What is his strength? I mean, you picture somebody just going, hands up. I can feel it. Strength's coming. That's not how it happens. Has that ever happened to you? Well, if it is, I want to talk to you. I'd like to learn your techniques because I'd, I'd like to have it just like that. You know? Verse 2, it's worship. I will worship toward thy holy temple. Strengthen me with strength in my soul. Worship is what this strength is. Worship. Now that sounds kind of strange. So when I'm feeling real heavy, what I should do is worship. That's exactly right. In fact, beloved, you're always worshiping. 24-7. There's not a moment in your life that any person on the planet is not worshiping. Jesus would say to the unbelieving Jews in His day in Matthew 15, verse 7, He would say, Well did Isaiah prophesy concerning you when he said this, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain they are worshiping me. Unbelievers are worshiping God, but vainly. It's not accomplishing what they're after. Teaching for commandments, the doctrines of men. So what is worship in that context? Worship is the position of the heart, either in relation to God or out of relation with God. But it's still worship. So when we're worshiping God with authentic, authentic worship, the heart is drawing near God. And what happens when you draw near God? Strength. In your soul. Not physically. Your body could be falling apart. You'll get that strength in the resurrection. But today, the strength in the soul is by worship when the heart is moving toward God. But what is also worship? The heart is far from God. Now that explains every unbeliever. And Jesus is speaking to unbelievers. See, it's not that they're not worshiping. It's that they're worshiping something other than God. And they have no strength. Worship is the inner experience of our hearts that treasures something. Something. That's why you're a worshiper. Tomorrow, you will treasure something. And the next day, you're going to treasure something. And whatever is at the height of what you treasure, and your, your soul experiences that way, that's what you're worshiping. So we need this strength called worship so that we don't change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature, which Paul is saying all the nations are worshipers, Romans 1.25, talking about the nations. What are the nations doing? What's America doing? Worshiping. By exchanging the glory of the uncorruptible God and worshiping the creature rather than the Creator. And how do you do that? You treasure something created and you expect the created thing to be for you what God alone can be for you in the soul. You're worshiping. I'm worshiping. And so when the psalmist cries and says, Lord, answer me and strengthen me with the strength in my soul, he needs to worship. He needs to treasure God above everything. And when he does that, it's going to strengthen his soul. It's going to make him stable in his heaviness. Because there are multitudes of voices vying for your attention and trying to move your way from God in your heaviness. And how easy is that when you're heavy? Right? 
If the devil seeks to destroy your enjoyment of God, oh, in your heaviness, how easy is it at times for him to destroy it? Because now I'm treasuring anybody, anything, any person that can get me out of this or tell me what I want to hear instead of going to God who's going to tell me what I need to hear. Strengthen me according to thy word. So what's, how does this strength happen? Verse 2, I will praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. The name of God. The revelation of God. What we need to understand, when the psalmist says, teach me your statutes, make me understand the ways of your precepts, what we need to understand, perhaps more than anything else first, is the steadfast love of God and His faithfulness. Above everything. Now that's His name, so it's, it's not above God. His steadfast love, because that's probably the first thing you question in your heaviness. I'm just not sure if God loves me. If you knew, if you knew the degree and the depth of which God does love you, it'd produce strength and stability. Beloved, Jesus is far more excited about seeing you than you are of Him, I'll assure you. Because He knows the love of God and what you're headed for. He is thrilled over you. Prove it. Okay. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 32, verse 40, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them assuredly in this land again with my whole soul and my whole heart. What barometer could measure the passion of God's joy over you? There's no instrument. How passionate is God's passion? How strong? How zealous is He? He says, I'll rejoice to do you good with my whole heart. That's pretty strong. In fact, it's, I can't measure it. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord who is mighty is in the midst of you. He will rejoice over you. He will rest in His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You ever thought of God singing? Well, you should now, because God says, I'm singing loudly over you. What does it mean He rests in His love? God loves His love for you. Now, beloved, here's where you could lose a deep consolation. If you think that God's love is conditional, oh, you're going to be a mess. The reason the doctrines of grace are so important is not because if people don't believe in them, they go to hell. Because you're robbing yourself of an unspeakable consolation. His grace is free. It is unconditional. Nothing you do can merit it. He doesn't foresee anything you do. He sets His love on you. If your love, His love for you is conditional, then you've got to perform, you've got to act, you've got to be faithful, you've got to trust Him in a way that His love is steadfast. That's no good, beloved. No good. You need a deep consolation in your heaviness of God's steadfast love. And it has nothing to do with you. 
If it does, then His love will continue because it will have everything to do with you. And it doesn't. Rest. He's resting in His love for you because He's resting in His love, not your love for Him. He's not resting in you meeting His conditions. He's resting in His steadfast faithfulness for you. That's why it's so important. And it magnifies the name of God. It's His name. It's His name we're talking about. And He's steadfast. He's faithful. All right, what's the means of this strength? We need to worship. We're going to worship His name. We need to know that name and the glory of it and the steadfastness of His love. What's the means? He's magnified His word above all His name. What does that mean? He's magnified His Word above every other revelation of His name. You can't magnify anything above God's name. He's magnified His Word above the revelation of His name in creation. There's something revealed about God in creation. His power. His might, Romans 1. He's magnified His Word above the revelation of His providence. He makes Himself known that way. As he did in Egypt. He's magnified himself above those other revelations by the revelation of his name in the word. What's the request? Strengthen thou me with strength in my soul. Worship the name of God through the word of God. And what happens? In your heaviness, you will experience the answer of prayer. And God is going to give you strength. That strength is going to be what magnifies His name and His Word as you worship through tears, through heartache, and through heaviness. God is being exalted because you're trusting in God's way with you. And that way doesn't look like He loves you. That way doesn't look like He cares when you're looking at the way. But he does, with a steadfast love, to the point where he says, look, I am singing over you with joy. Now when you say, I don't, I don't, get, I don't see how anybody could sing over me, you know what the problem is? It's you. What are you looking at? Well, you're looking at your lack of performance, you're in heaviness, probably not doing so well in heaviness, probably said some things were not so good in the heaviness, probably thinks some things not so good. It's His love that He loves about loving you. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can make it weaker and less. Nothing can make it stronger. It is steadfast and it is faithful. That is a soft pillow to lay your head down on with rest and peace at night. Even though the pillow you may be laying on is a pillow of heaviness in your soul. Oh, beloved, worship. Don't skip class. How many times when a person goes through heaviness, the first thing they do is the thing that they don't need to do. They, they stop participating in worship, hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, and the soul goes deeper and deeper and deeper in heaviness. And rather than get strong, rather than out of weakness being made strong, out of weakness they're made weaker. Why? Rather than being a submissive student to the Word of God, really, it 
sounds bad, they become a proud student that says, I'll navigate this heaviness on my own. And what is that navigation? I don't want to go. I don't feel like it. And we, we're turned then to living based on feelings. So what's the result then? Then, and we'll finish here, I'll talk of your wondrous works. Wondrous works means the marvelous, extraordinary, surpassing works of God. Now see, he's still in the heaviness. If he gets the strength, what's going to happen in this strength? He's able to talk, and the word here means to meditate also. It can mean muse, ponder, think, but also speak, talk, or sing. So when we muse on the works of God, when we're students in the house of God, in our heaviness, we begin to talk of the wondrous works of God. And then the melting soul, which still is having the heaviness, is then strengthened. Look at Psalm 105, and I'll close at this psalm. Psalm 105, verse 1. O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him, talk ye of all His wondrous works. Now there's the same expression. I'm in Psalm 105, verse 2. Alright. Psalmist says, So shall I talk of your wondrous works. Here, the Psalmist 105 says, Sing, and then talk. Verse 3, Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord, seek the Lord and His strength and His face evermore. Remember the marvelous works that He hath done, the wonders and the judgments of His mouth. Now, now this is in the form of a chiasmus or chiastic form. It's in the reverse order. So we got an A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A. Alright, so let's start in the center. In a chiasm, or a chiasmus, you want to focus on the centerpiece. That's the emphasis. And it's this. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord. You can look at your Bible to see it if you need to. Alright, that's the D. If I'm on the right letter, right? A, B, C, D. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Now let's move out to the C. Seek His strength. What's the other C? Let the heart of them rejoice... That seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek His strength. Okay. How do I do that? Seek His joy and His gladness. You see the structure? Two D's, two C's. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek His strength. Seek His joy or His gladness. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength in heaviness. Now, if it weren't for the Bible, I'd, and somebody told me, I said, you must be crazy. I'm, I'm not having any joy. What are you talking That's what I want. It's gone. I'm in heaviness. You mock me, as you might say. When we seek the Lord in His strength, we're seeking His joy. Why did you seek your wife? I thought it was a requirement. I thought I was obligated. I thought it was my duty. I thought I was supposed to. So I went after her. Wrong answer. Right? Wrong answer. It's because you think, if, if, I, don't, if I don't have that woman in marriage, I, I don't, I'm not going to be able to live. You should have been saying that. That honors her, doesn't it? I, I want to spend all my life with her. I'm going to go after her. I'm pursuing her. 
To seek the Lord without seeking joy is to dishonor Him. It's to say, all you're seeking is just, I got to, my parents told me to, I guess you're supposed to, I'm obligated, it's my duty, I'm required. That's not the life of faith. So when we seek the Lord, we seek the Lord, we seek His strength, we seek His joy. How do we seek that? Be. Seek His face. Glory in His name. To seek the face of God is to seek His presence. Where do you see the face of God? The brightness of the face of God is the brightness of His personal character. It's His name. When you see the name of God, you see the face of God. Moses was told when he said, show me your glory, he says, you can't see my face, which literally come into the presence of God, he couldn't. But I'll show you my name. He made all his goodness pass before God and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the goodness of God was specifically proclaimed in the goodness of the sovereignty of it. I will declare my name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will be merciful to whoever I want to be merciful. And nobody will tell me or influence me. Nothing will influence me. But what is in my own will And Moses fell down and worshipped. And that's what we should do too. It's when we glory in the name of God, we are seeking the face of God. And how do we seek His face? Colossians 3.1 If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For Christ setteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, which is phroneo, mind. Set your mind on Him. And then you're seeking His face. Because you're seeking His name. And where is that name? He's magnified His name above all, or His Word above all His name. The revelation of the Bible. And who, what name do we see when we seek Him in center of mind? We see the name of Jesus. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his heart, his soul, and calms his fears. Drives away. The heaviness doesn't mean the heaviness lifts in terms of the condition. Drives away the fears. We see the name of Christ. So we seek the Lord. We seek His strength. We seek His joy. How do we do that? We seek His name. We seek His face through the Word. Now look at the A. I will talk of thy wondrous works. Verse 2. Verse 5. I will remember His marvelous works. Those are the two A's. They're the same. All coming from seeking the Lord. What are we talking about? My soul is melting. Strengthen me. How does the strength come? Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. And when he does, he gets strength as a submissive student to the Word of God. And this strength issues forth in what? He begins to talk. She begins to talk of the wondrous, marvelous, surpassing, extraordinary works of God, even in heaviness. Now what happens? You're stable. You're not sinless. You're still hurting. The presence of Christ has come as in a sanctuary in your soul by revelation. 
The Word of God revives us. It quickens us. It restores us. It reinvigorates us. It strengthens us. As we declare our ways to God, we need to keep declaring our sins, and Lord, we declare our trouble. Declare your heaviness to God. And then secondly, as we trust in God's way with us, and we go back to the Word and ask the Lord, bless us to worship, to keep worshiping. Help us not to forsake class. Help us not to cut class, skip class. Help us to keep participating. Now, the psalmist was not always able to get to the Holy Temple. He was in a cave in Psalm 142. He's worshiping toward it. He can't get there. He wants to be there. That happens sometimes. So we can worship wherever we are by the Word of God as we reflect, understand, and ask God to teach us, make us understand. And then what happens in the congregation of the saints together? We begin to talk about God. You know what the main thing I want to talk about when I'm in heaviness? The heaviness. I just want to complain about it all day long. Wouldn't it be far better that when we talk about our heaviness to God, then we start talking about His glory, His help, His goodness, His strength, His steadfast love. And then we're saying that to one another. And the, the church of God is being built up like a palace built for God. May the Lord bless that to be our experience in my heaviness and in yours. Let's pray. Father, you're a great God, great indeed. Lord, we say with Jacob, we're not least, we're not worthy of the least of thy mercies. So Lord, teach us your statutes. Teach us when we're out of heaviness. Teach us when we're in heaviness. Bless us to be stable. Bless us to be like trees planted by the rivers of water, although it's a season of drought, a season of sorrow and grief and even depression. May we pour out our complaints and declare our ways unto you. May we be taught, may we take the position of humility before you. And to know, Lord, and to trust in your way, for your glory and your name. And may we be brought back to Revelation again and again so we may see your face in the Lord Jesus Christ and may see your name and know and be assured of the great love wherewith you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.